Hello, and welcome to the Missing Link for the SLPs podcast. I am so glad you are here. Today's episode is part of the Medical SLP series where we talk to some amazing speech paths who work in a variety of medical settings, all the way from intensive care through to home care and everything else in between and beyond. You're going to hear some incredible medical SLP stories and lots of advice from these passionate medical SLPs. Welcome to Lauren. Happy to have you here. Um, names are so important, so I'm just really glad to have you here on the Missing Link for SLPs. Welcome to the podcast, Lauren. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So you are you're going to be a very, I think, very popular episode because you are bringing together the pediatric world and the med SLP world. So just like a wonderful combination of two of the things our our field has to offer. So tell us a little bit about why you became a speech pathologist, and then we're going to jump and do a deep dive into your settings and all that you do as a pediatric SLP. Um, So it's a pretty uninteresting story. (laughs) I um, started my college career as pre-vet. I have a lot of animals. So everyone was like, you should be a vet. You should be a vet. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I was like, I guess I'll be a vet. Um, And I started that and I hated it. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So I, I guess it was my sophomore year, like first semester of my sophomore year of undergrad. I went to my like advisor and was like, I don't like this. So I literally just like picked up the course catalog and was like, what do I think sounds kind of interesting and I can make an A in while I like figure my life out. And they have intro to language. And I was like, that's, or it was intro to communication disorders. I, um, I had to also take intro to language, but it was the communication disorders. I was like, oh, that sounds like I, I can make an A in it. That's terrible to say. Um, but that was the truth. <laughs> and so I took that and I loved it. Um, it was, I just, I loved it. And so I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to be a speech pathologist. And my whole family was like, what are you talking about? Um, but I didn't realize this until later until I got like deeper into the coursework and stuff. But I always like in high school, I really always liked English and science, which was such an interest, like an unusual mix, you know, of, of interest. And I got deeper into SLP world. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is English and science. So it's perfect. Um, so that's, that's that. Um, I graduated in communication disorders, my undergrad, and then I, wound up at the university. So I'm from South Louisiana, um, from New Orleans. And so I ended up at the University of Memphis for grad school. I um, am very much a homebody and was pretty terrified to go, but I got, um, I got accepted. It was a, it's a competitive program. Um, so I got in and then I was like, oh, it's so expensive. So they had this, um, like a mentorship or a traineeship. We had a, a professor having a grant and they were taking two people to work on this mentorship and you would get, you know, in-state tuition and a stipend and everything. So I was like, well, I'm gonna apply for this. And if I get it, then the universe is telling me that I need to go to Memphis. Um, they're only taking two people. And I think I was secretly hoping I wouldn't get it because I was scared to move. Um, but I got it. And so I got, they called me and I was like, oh God, I, I like, I called my mom. I really like, I was like, I got the mentorship. And she was like, yay. Um, so went to Memphis. Um, and it was great. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Yeah. So I just was like, like, I have to go, like, I can't not go. Um, so I went and now I'm a speech pathologist. (laughs) How long have you been a speech pathologist? Um, it'll be eight. I graduated eight years ago in May. So this is my year. So did you, now you're on the medical SLP series. You're going to tell us about your medical 
SLP work. Did you always want to be a medical SLP? Any interest in working with kids? I mean, um, in the setting? Yeah. So I, I thought, I always thought I wanted to work with kids, which is what I do. Um, I always, so I always kind of, I like entertained med school for a while. Um, so I always definitely gravitated more towards the medical side. I like blood and guts, I guess. Um, so, uh, yeah, I was, like I said, I was always really interested in the science aspect, I think more so than the English. So I, um, when I was in grad school, I was really, really fortunate. Like I said, I went to the university of Memphis. I was fortunate to do a, um, clinic rotation at St. Jude. And so that was great. And I loved it. And, um, so I got a lot of good, you know, medical experience there. Um, I, but that program, I think is really great because they require like everyone had to work in a hospital. Everyone had to or do a clinic in a hospital. Everyone has to do a clinic in a school. So you really got to see everything that was out there. Mm-hmm. And I guess I just always kind of gravitated toward that. And I, I started my professional career in the schools actually, but I always really liked those more medically complex kids. And um, I ended up at a school that has a high special ed population with like a lot of orthopedically impaired kids and more medically oriented kids. But then a little bit earlier going full-time to the hospital. Um, Cause I, I couldn't see up there. It's kind of tricky. Um, there's not so many spots. So I got my, my med SLP position. Um, it, I didn't love it as much as I thought I did. Um, so I actually ended up leaving that and going back to the schools. But in the meanwhile, it worked out because I really found this like super love of feeding and swallowing disorders that I, I always was interested in. I, I liked it in adults, but I, you know, you, a lot of grad schools don't, you just don't get that much experience. So it was lucky that I went because that's when I kind of was like, I really want to focus on this. So another part of the reason I went back to the schools was so I could like devote time to, you know, studying and getting some advanced trainings and stuff. And so now it's great because I'm able to PRN um, and I only take feeding kids. Um, I get a lot of babies coming out the NICU. And then I work for my, our state early intervention program. And the same thing, I only take feeding kids. So it's like the best of both worlds. I get this like nice school schedule and um, I'm actually on the AAC team. So I see all severe, profound, um, non-speaking children. And a lot of those do have, you know, co-occurring medical um, diagnoses. So it's great. So interesting because a lot of um, people will come to SL, Fresh SLP and they'll say, you know, I, I want the school setting. I want the school calendar. I want to work with kids, but I want, I like the, the medical side of things. And it seems like you've been able to pull both together. Yes. Um, it was not easy. So I, I don't want to give this false impression that like, oh yeah, you just, just do that. Um, because it, it took, it's taken me eight years to make it happen. Um, but yeah, that's, that really is almost exactly, exactly what I've been able to do is really pull in the things that I love and kind of make my own little niche market. And, um, it's great. You know, I, I love it. I'm, I'm passionate about it. I'm not, you know, grumpy to, I, I do work full time in the school system and then see kids afterwards. So, you know, a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, like, how do you, how do you function? Are you not tired? But I love it so much. Like, no, I'm not tired. I'm stoked to go see these kids. Um, and then it's great because I'm kind of, you know, becoming where I'll, I'll get a lot of like personal referrals, like people are like, oh, you know, you need to go see this girl. So it's nice to, I, I get kind of the most complicated things, which is what I really like. So mm-hmm. it's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like complicated too. Yeah. So tell us your, tell us how your typical day works out. When do you start? When do you end? Do you get a lunch break? <laughs> I, do, I, do, I do lunch. <laughs> yes, I do eat lunch. Um, so like I said, I work, my, my main job is in the public school system. So I get to work at 710. Um, our school day starts at 720. So I have 
depending on the day. Um, the way I like, I like to be, um, okay. So we have a lot of control over our schedule in the school system, which is for those who are considering or coming out of school, that is a big perk in the school system. So, um, I like to front load my week. So most of my Mondays and Tuesdays are the heaviest. Um, I travel to nine different schools. So oh that, yeah, yeah. Um, that is that, is that typical? Not that many. So, um, like I said, I'm on our AAC team, which is okay. the severe and profound non-speaking students. Um, a lot of ki- like kids on devices, but also just your emerging language, like lower level communicators. So the way our schools are like um, public school system is set up. We have not every school has every class. So a lot of these kids, um, like the, they only go to certain schools that have like severe classes for you know their disability. So there's not there's not enough need at one school for me to be there full time. That makes sense. So those of us who are on the AAC team, we travel, but for our like more traditional SLPs, they are at one or two schools. Okay. That was, that was, that was the question. So your day starts at seven, 10 in the morning. Yep. And so I am at school. I see kids, I go into the classrooms. I see kids until, um, my day ends at two, two fifteen. So I usually see kids until, um, 1230 or one. And then I have like paperwork and everything. I do eat lunch. I think that's really important. When you're given a lunch, you should take it. Um, yes. Don't work for free. Words of wisdom. Take your lunch. Yes. Take your lunch break. That is included. Um, I I tell my grad students all the time, do not work for free. You are a professional and you are entitled to be compensated for when you're working. Um, Mm -hmm. so then I leave at two 15, I leave school and I go see on, so on Mondays and Tuesdays is when right now I have my early steps kids. So that's our early intervention program. So I'll go either to their daycare or their house, wherever, you know, the child is at. And I see them, um, two of like, I have two patients. So usually like two thirty to three thirty, and then like three forty five to, um, four forty five. Um, part of the, the perk of that job is that I, I choose the kids I take. So I only take kids that are like geographically convenient for me just because I work everywhere. Um, so I get, well, then I usually go to the gym. So I get home at like six or six 30. And then on Wednesdays I have my same school schedule. And then that's kind of my like catch all day. If I have any new evaluations at the hospital, that's when I'll schedule them. So if I have a baby to go see there, I'll go over to the um, clinic. Well, it's an outpatient clinic but it's affiliated with hospital. So then I'll go there. And then Thursdays is when I have like my regular standing uh, patients that I see at the hospital. So after school, I go see them and see if, you know, if there's anyone upcoming that I need to schedule for the next week. And then on Fridays, I only work at school. <laughs> I don't do anything extra. You are busy. I am a busy bee. Yeah. I'm also getting married um, in a month. So. I'm oh, <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Yes. Congratulations. Thank Lots you. on your plate. Yeah. But you've got a lot of passions, a lot of loves, a lot of drive. Yeah. I um I get really bored if I sit at home. You know, I with the schools we have a lot of breaks, which is another perk of the schools. But so sometimes I'm like, oh man, I'm like sit in my house for like a week and I like two hours in, I'm like, well, I'm bored, so I need to go do something. So it it's great. I and I like I said, I, I like that I have enough control over my like medical people that if I feel like I'm getting like, Oh, I'm too busy or I'm getting, I'm getting like burnt out on this. I can like take a step back. Um, I was just going to ask, what do you do if you do start getting burned out? Any words of advice there? So when I was full-time working 
at the hospital. Um, I, I did get really burned out. That was a really hard schedule for me. Um, just that many kids back to back to back was pretty exhausting. Um, so I changed settings. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that is an option though. I don't, you know, I, I think a lot of, especially newer grads feel like, Oh, I have to work at a job for like X amount of years. And that's not true. If you're waking up unhappy to go to work, you, you can, you need to explore a different setting. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no shame in that. You're not a bad person. You're not a bad therapist mm-hmm. that you're just a human. Um, but so for what I'm at now, if I, if I feel like I'm getting burned out, um, I mean, I, I like, as far as my, my kids, I see regularly, I wouldn't, a big, you know, leave them. But that's when I say, oh, you know, I really can't take a new eval right now, or I can't pick up a new baby right now. Um, although typically what happens is they'll call me with a baby that really needs me. <laughs> and I, I can't like, like, am I going to be like, oh, well, sorry, I guess your kid just won't eat. You know, of course not. So um, I, I, I haven't gotten to the point with this setup where I felt burnt out, I think because it works out for me. Um, but I do think it's, it's good to plan ahead for what's going to happen when you you know, feel like you need a break. Mm-hmm. Vacation, you're given vacation days if, if you're working like full time somewhere and take them. Mm-hmm. So it, you've got, a, you've got a, a very, a variety of different things that you do. What is one of the favorite things that you do working in the school system with those kiddos? Oh man. Um, same question for the hospital. Okay. So in the schools, um, so just as a caveat right now in our school system, we do not address feeding or dysphagia. Um, just like that's relevant to say, we're actually working on building a team, but so in the schools, I, that is not something that I do at this time. Um, I focus really on functional communication and, um, gosh, when you have a kid, especially, you know, a kid that is either like severe autistic or, you know, low cognition that they finally like get it, you know, especially those kids, my kids that have, you know, more, more impacted autism that have a lot of maybe behaviors that are, they're using instead of functional communication, our kids that are, you know, screaming and hitting and biting. Like the day that kid finally picks their device up and says, I need a break. <laughs> it's, it's the best, you know, and everyone is so happy. And so just that, that's probably my favorite. Um, I co-treat a lot with our OT. Um, with COVID, obviously we're not able to do as much fun stuff as we used to, but I'm hoping it'll come back. So we, you know, I love to do, we'll like plant seeds in the spring. We make like trail mix for my kids who are able to eat. Cause I do have a lot of kids on G-tubes. Um, but I think my experience with that, I'm really good at, for our kids who aren't going to be able to eat, they can still participate. And like, I can think of something else that they can, you know, do that. Um, so I love co-treating. I love like doing hands-on, like really functional things. I love you know, making a Mother's Day gift or going, what we don't do right now because COVID, but like, we'll go to the zoo, we'll go bowling, we'll do like these community-based activities. So I love that um, as far as the school. And then my medical stuff, gosh, I mean... I love the babies. I love, love, love getting little NICU babies um, or babies coming out the NICU. I love, again, when I can, you know, it's like the best when a parent or someone comes in and they're like really struggling and I can be like, hey, do this. And then they come back they're like, oh my gosh, like he's eating. It's, it's working. And, you know, they're so happy. So that, I mean. Was it scary starting in the NICU with those NICU babies or when, when they were first coming out of the NICU? How did you build your confidence in that? Um, I, I think, so I did a lot, a lot of training, um, and like CEU courses. This is something I think is really important, not just training with the person who currently works in your hospital. Um, mm-hmm. and that's, yeah, right. Like, and, I, and I'm not, I'm not like hating on the person who works in anyone's hospital. I'm sure like everyone has very good, competent people, but I think it is so important to go like directly to the source mm-hmm. and get, you know, different, not necessarily opinions, but that's important to don't, don't have opinions, use science. <laughs> so um, 
you know, I've done Karen Mitchell, her NICU course is so good. It's NICU and transition home. It's offered through Chow. Um, I think it's such a good like intro course. So if that's not something that you're familiar with, I definitely recommend her. Um, I've done Aaron Ross's course, Sophie, I'm Sophie certified. What is Sophie for those who don't know? um, Supporting oral feeding in fragile infants. So it is a a feeding course designed for babies that are in the NICU and that are coming home from the NICU. So, um, you know, sick babies. Um, That is a really good one. I've also, I've done SOS too, which is K2Me's feeding course. That though is is not, that's not for infants. So we'll Mm -hmm. talk about that later. Um, But as far as that, so I, I got a lot of training from, the experts and the professionals. So I, I felt like I felt I, I wasn't scared because I knew what I was doing. And I, I think that's so, so important. Like just prepare yourself. And so I, I really haven't had an experience where I've been like, I'm clueless, you know? And I think you do know what you're doing. If you do, if you do your homework and you do your training, you'll, you know, and, and sometimes you need to kind of like take a step back and take a breath and be like, okay, I'm, I'm a really smart, competent person. I have my master's degree. I've done this training. Like, you know, and then, and then you do, then you know. <laughs> what words of advice do you have for the new or fresh SLP who wants to, who, who's in her clinical fellow and she wants to move into a career like you have, where it's in the medical setting, working with pediatrics. So you're going to take your courses. How does he or she get started in the medical setting and started on the path like you've had? Okay. So, um, this obviously might vary from different regions of the country, but my, my best advice would be take as many CEU courses as you can. And again, like, you know, if you, if you can go to the trainings from the people, if you can go to Catherine Shaker or Aaron Ross or Kate Jamie, go to their trainings and then get into the hospital system in any way that you can. So if the first job that's available is, you know, an outpatient, kind of your more traditional articulation and language setting, take that. Because the hardest thing that I've experienced, at least, is getting into the system. Right. So you need to get in, even if that's not your dream position. Because also how a lot of, most of these places work is they'll hire from within. So if you're trying to come, you know, say, from a school system or straight from grad school, and you want to go work in the NICU or work in acute or something like really specialized, you, you better be amazing. And if you're a new grad, like, you're maybe you are amazing. You probably are amazing, but you, you don't have that experience to make you as amazing on your resume. So, but if you're already there and you're working, then you have this opportunity to, you know, show, Oh, Hey, I have interest in feeding. And maybe you take one feeding kid or you say, Hey, I have some time at lunch. You know, if you're in, if you're in a physical hospital, like, Hey, can I go with the inpatient, you know, the acute therapist? So getting in is going to be your hardest part. Um, and then I think, like I said, to just, take every opportunity. Cause kind of how I got started was I, I did a little bit of feeding in grad school. Um, I loved it, but then when I came back, I you know, kind of forgot about it. And, um, now I, I started with like one or two feeding kids that, you know, our lead SLP, no one else really had an interest in it was really comfortable with it. And so I was like, yeah, like I want to do that. And so I, like the first few I, looking back, I, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> um, and that's a little embarrassing, but whatever it happened. Um, but so that just start with one, start with one kid and find, if you can find a really good mentor, you know, find a person that is passionate about it and will help you and will be your biggest cheerleader and tell you what courses to take. Um, and you can do, um, you can look to your state association, speech and hearing association for mentors. You can look to dysphagia clubs, um, in your area or in your state for mentors. You can possibly look to ASHA for mentors. Yeah. Correct. 
Yeah. Any yeah. other, any other um, mentors or just other local speech paths who yeah. have the interest and ask? Them how I, so I mentor a lot of people and usually how it works is, yeah, we'll get a new hire, say at the hospital. And I say, mm-hmm. okay, like I introduce myself when I come and I'm, like, I'm, you know, I'm more and I do the feeding kids. And if they have an interest, then help them out. Um, we also, another thing that a lot, a lot of people I think overlook is OTs. So we share a lot mm-hmm. aspect of the feeding um, not so much dysphagia that really should be speech unless you're in California, but, um, so don't, don't discount your OTs. There's some really, really great OTs in the same way. If, if any OTs happen to be listening, don't discount your SLPs. So that I collaborate a lot with our OTs. I'm actually mentoring two right now that really want to get into it. And same thing. They're like, I don't know what to start. So I'm like, take this course, you know, and have those conversations. I work, I cover, I'm an assistant professor four days a week and I keep my clinic days on Friday because I love, I just love my clinic work and I work with, with babies as well. And we had a little um, kiddo come in once upon a time and the, the OT, she was newer out of school and she said, oh, we just cut this referral and you know, what do you do? What areas do you cover? And then she, we, she, this is, we had this conversation about here's how we work together and collaborate and, you know, pull from here and then from the mouth down. So yeah, definitely. Who else, who else is on your team that you work with? You have OT. Do you work with anybody else closely? So unfortunately, like I said, we're in an outpatient that's not like in close physical proximity to the hospital. So a lot of it is via like email, um, which I, mm-hmm. is not my preferred format, but we do what we do. Um, we have physical, well, physical therapy is in our department. So our clinic is PTOG speech. So I work with them a lot. Um, also your physical therapist, like if you don't have good core support and good, like seating, right. you're not eating well. So don't count them out either. Um, then obviously your, you know, your GI doctor, your ENT, your child's pediatrician should be on this team. Um, nutrition for sure. A lot of these kids, especially once they start getting older, it gets really com- more complicated, you know, when you, or when you have babies on with some type of um, tube feeding system, that's when you really need to have nutrition on board. Because mm-hmm. you know, I, you know, I, I have a lot of training in nutrition, but I am not a nutritionist. So that is not something that I would, you know, I would never be qualified to recommend like calories or, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, so all of those guys or ladies, people should be on your team. All right. Um, Words of wisdom for the new speech pathologist. Oh gosh, I think I think my first thing is that like you know, be confident in yourself. You've gone to graduate school. You have a master's degree. You're you're a smart, capable person. So I think a lot of people come out really scared. And there, it's it's good to know your limitations and know what you need more help in, but also know that like you know things. Okay, so that's kind of my first word of wisdom. Just know your own worth and your own abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, then with that, recognize where you need further mentoring and don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, you know, I get a lot of grad students or people I mentor, go, oh, you know everything. Which I, I don't. I don't know everything. And the things that I do know, I don't, I didn't know because of magic. I know because someone else taught me. So mm. seek out the help, you know, and seek out as much as you can. You know, these Facebook groups are great. People post mm-hmm. on you know, Facebook groups like little CEUs and sometimes they're cheap, you know, $40 CEU on cleft palate, take that, mm-hmm. do all those little things. And I think, you know, take as much training and courses as you can. I, I always say for me personally, like I don't, I'm not going to settle for mediocrity. I, um, I think part of what I really like is that I specialize 
a really, really small area because I want to be really, really good at that area. I, I don't really like knowing a lot, knowing a little about a lot of things. You know, I want to really, this is what I do. And then I build my network of other people that are really, really good at something else. So when a parent comes to me, it's like, oh, my, my kid stutters, for example. Well, yeah, I know about stuttering. I am licensed. I could treat that, but I'd rather say, hey, but you know what? I have a girl or a man, usually it's a girl, um, who is great. So, you know, build your team of people that have your interests, but also people that don't, that have other interests so that you always know either what to do or who to send that child to. Mm -hmm. Interesting fact, a lot of voice referrals that go to private practice voice um, speech pathologists, their referrals come from voice or or, or non um, how, how do I want to say this? Just from of a, of a more generalist SLP from the outpatient setting. Yeah. So they're referring on to somebody who is specialized in that area. Right. And that's and good. I, that's yes. great. Right. I think our scope is huge, especially like in this feeding world, like this needs to be its own profession. Um, mm-hmm. Because we mm-hmm. have so many things. And even if you are the best, smartest SLP on the earth, like no human, I think can possibly know everything about everything that is in our scope. That's just, I, I don't know that anyone's brain can hold that much information. Right. So, right. you know, I think pick the things that you love and be really, really good at that. And then know who's really good at the things you don't love so much. <laughs> Do you have a story you can share with us that um, was just more challenging for you in your setting? Um, okay. Yeah, I got one. So I saw this little boy. Um, he came to me. He was three, like three years when he came to me. Um, and he had a really complex medical history. He had had a brain tumor, um, posterior fossa tumor that they had been, re- that had resected, like partially, a partial resection. Um, I think he had an astrocytoma, but don't quote me on that. But I know it was a posterior fossa tumor. And um, so he, this was, I guess, about when he was a year old was when the tumor resection happened. But he subsequently had a trach, had a, had a G-tube. He ate nothing by mouth, like just very, very aversive, had just like a really complicated thing. Um, and their home situation was pretty complicated. A lot of guilt and blame put on the mom. Not, it was not her fault. Like she was a great mom. She still is a great mom. Um, and so when he came to me, I mean, this was, this was the most scared of food child I've ever encountered. This was pretty new when I was, I had just done, Actually, I started with him before I had done my SOS training, um, which thank God I took that course because it really helped me with him. Um, the first time we ever saw him for the evaluation, the mom pulls out this little like drinkable yogurt smoothie thing, like a animals or whatever. Um, the child literally screamed and ran out the room. Um, and he he was a darker skinned child. He turned white, screamed and ran out the room, like ter- just scared. So therapy with him was like a really, really slow, re- I mean, really slow going. So he he's one that, is the type of child that I think can really make you question your competence because the progress is so slow. Um, that like, he was one that for sometimes I'd be like, man, like, I, do I need to send this kid to someone else? Like, I'm just, I'm not good at this. Um, but then, but then, you know, one day we had these little like, uh, like graham cracker grips, like the teeny, teeny little graham cracker, like circles almost. And he, like, he tasted one, you know, mm-hmm. put it to his tongue and he, and he, he didn't like, he didn't like love it. He kind of made a face and was like, Ooh, um, shook his face around. Oh. But, um, but, you know, but previously, if he got a smell of food, if he got anything, like it, he would shut down. And this time he had this big sensory response, but then he, he was able to keep going in the session. <laughs> it was huge. And his mom cried and it was oh. great. I cried. We all cried. It was great. 
Um, but so, you know, that I think is, is kind of, sometimes you'll get kids that it's easy and you'll feel like a rock star. I'm so good at my job. And then you get these harder cases that, that go, you know, you have to stay the course. And he was one that really taught me, like, stay the course, do the program. Um, but again, it was helpful because I had done, I did the SOS program and I did the, they have an advanced mentorship program, which I did as well. So, you know, again, like I had had that training and knowledge to know, like, you're not, you're doing the right thing. Um, you're doing it right. Like just, this is stay the course, which even, even knowing that I still was like, it's not working. Um, but it did eventually work. Or since the cases like that, I, we, I had one little kiddo where we, when he, we, we get him ready to eat and even the presence of food would cause him to vomit. Oh. And so we would do flybys with him. <laughs> we take whatever it yeah. was we were doing. And he wouldn't, he couldn't even tolerate on this tray for messy play. Yeah. And we would just do a flyby and, you know, eventually. And it's just stories like that, that it, they're good to hear from, from each other because then we know that, you know, not everything is like, oh, a quick fix and, oh, look at how wonderful I am. But that taking these courses, learning from one another, and sometimes realizing that the work we do does take a long time. Yeah, like a well, really long time. And and you know what I had to remind myself with this little guy because over, over like I said, by the time I he was probably four or five by the time he started like entertaining eating things. You know, mm-hmm. he didn't learn to not eat in a day, so he's mm-hmm. not going to learn to eat in a day. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought I also had an instance where, so I, like I said, I'm mentoring um, some OTs who are working like in feeding. And one of our OTs, she also just took the SOS course and um, she got this little guy, real, really tough, tough kid. I was saying like five years old, super ex preemie, like 28 weeker or something, um, G-tube fed, completely, I mean, super aversive to food. And she had her first session with him and she was like, called me up. I was like, Lauren, it was terrible. Oh my gosh, it was awful. So that was when, you know, because I had kind of helped her like, okay, I want you to do, you know, try these things and they didn't work. And she was so upset. So I recommended, I said, okay, let's, let's back up even further. This is too hard for him. Take, you know, a whole orange with the skin, everything on and try to roll the ball back and forth. Um, so this child also has some cognitive deficits. And she, the next the next week came and she texted me and she was like, oh my gosh, it worked. It was great. You know, he, he eventually held it up to his mouth. And so that was just a great, that was so, just a little moment, but that was so great because it gave her confidence that like she can do it. it made me feel good that I also, you know, know what I'm doing. Um, so yeah, just you know, like, I think I always try to think about like, if what I'm doing isn't working, make the task easier. And if you just, I think if you keep that mindset, like if the child isn't doing what you want, they're missing a skill and the task is too hard. So that really helps me just know like, keep myself on track instead of like panicking and be like, Oh gosh, it's not working. Be like, Oh, it's too hard. Make it easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the it, that scaffolding you right. add, or you, or you take away. Right. right. And so do you, you have a story you can share with us where you're like, oh, this is what I do. Why I do. Oh gosh. Um, well, yeah. So I recently had a baby. I had two actually similar babies. Um, baby was, um, like 28, 26 week, a little, um yeah discharged with an ng um was doing well like medically just couldn't really get it together for eating you know wanted to eat um this is all you know report coming to me from hospital wanted to eat just couldn't quite get that you know suck swallow breathe coordinated and just really wasn't doing well and um it was simple i just i literally i changed her bottle um i just gave her a slower flow nipple and the parents, cause we were talking about G tube. Um, the parents were not, didn't want the G tube, but you know, I, we talked about how NG is not meant to be long-term and this whole thing. And, um, 
they came back the next week and they were like, I mean, you know, I had tears in her eyes. I'm like, oh my gosh, Lauren, like, I'm so thankful. Like she's been eating, she's been eating all week. Like, I don't, I don't think, and you know, they're like, do you still think we have to have a G tube? And I was like, well, at this point, no, I don't. And they, I mean, they were so grateful. And mm-hmm. so it's those moments where you're like, man, like, this is great. Like I really, I really helped someone or, you know, I had a, a little guy too that has a genetic micro deletion. And um, the first time he ate a puff in our room, his mom, I mean, his mom, she was like, where'd it go? And I was like, mom, he ate it. And she was like, what? She, he ate it? She's like looking at his mouth and, you know, she's like, didn't you realize? I was like, yeah, he ate it. And she's like, you know, just her face, she's like freaking out. And she's like, oh my God. And I was like, yeah, like he did it. So, you know, just those, those little moments where like, you, you, I mean, I didn't, the child did it. Like I didn't need it for him, but just where you help someone achieve a skill that they maybe didn't think their child would do is, is great. Those little moments are so big though. Oh yeah. They're so big. big. And then, and then they just become so momentous. And then those kiddos reach those milestones. Yeah. Pretty exciting. That's why we do what we do. Right. It's great when, and I'm not just for our feeding kids and my speech and language kids too. I mean, gosh, like the first time a kid, you know, says a word or points is great. Well, you gave us a lot of great advice today. Would you be willing to give us a list of your top uh, resources and courses you would recommend for a student working, moving into, you mentioned some of them and we can put it in your show notes and put it as a download on the um, Fresh SLP website as well. Yep, definitely. Um, We have that written out. Yeah. So for people who are wanting to move into like infant feeding, um, babies coming out the NICU, I think that um, Karen Mitchell's course, it's called, what is it called? Like NICU and Transition Home or something to that effect. Um, it's offered through Chow. She, it's like CIAO. She, that, that I think is like the best introduction if you, if you have no experience with this um, topic. And then Erin Ross has Sophie, S-O-F-F-I. That's the Supporting Oral Feeding and Fragile Infants. Um, that one I do think is better if you have a bit of background knowledge. Um, it could be a little confusing if, if you're not, don't have some kind of experience. So I think if you do Karen's course first and then Dr. Ross's, that's a really nice, um, segue. And then for our older kids, and by older, I mean like six months and up, um, SOS, it's life-changing. I love it. Um, Mm -hmm. so the intro, K2Me is the creator of it and, I want to be what does SOS stand for? Sequential oral sensory. And um, yeah, in case anyone doesn't know about it, it's um, it is not a swallowing program. So it's not for kids with dysphagia. Um, it's a feeding right. program. And it's mostly for your you know sensory motor-based kids. Um, it, it does have a lot of sensory, um, like sensory integration components. So a lot of it is helping helping the child manage their sensory system basically. Um, around food because, you know, food for them, it, it's a physiologic stress response. They've there's, typically, there's been a lot of things in these kids' lives. They've learned that eating is stressful or painful or all of the above. So it's really helping the kids manage that. But um, the course is so great. The intro is four days. Um, and then there's also, oh my gosh, I think like 10 or 12 advanced topic courses that you can take after. You have to take the introduction first. They have advanced topic courses in you know, G-tubes and transition off of your G-tube, autism, feeding kids or kids with severe developmental disabilities, um, older kids, like you know, teenagers. So there's all there's just a lot of advanced topics that you can do. Um, they also offer a mentorship program that's I think 12 weeks. I did it um, a couple years ago, where it's like a weekly like class that you need. It's Zoom or this Blackboard, but you know, same idea. 
And so there's a lot of really great resources for that. That that is probably the course that like changed my personal practice so much. Um, so I love SOS. And then um, I also, so I just finished, well, in August, gosh, it's almost been a year now. Um, New York Medical College has an advanced certification in pediatric dysphagia. That is a online, well, when I took it, it was online. I'm not sure. It was like, they're like making some changes to it. Um, but so that is a, that's, that's like a college credit course. Um, it's three semesters. And so that's, you know, if someone who's interested in that, now it's I mean, expensive. You have to go to New York for clinic. So if you don't live local, like I said, I live in New Orleans. So um, that got to be a lot. Like I had to fly to New York four times. Um, well, I ended up not because COVID. But um, so that, you know, if that's something you're interested in too, that I think could be a good one. And also if you have no, like no experience, I think that it starts out on a pretty introductory level. So, yeah. And then um, those are like, so those are the main ones I've done. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. There's some very good courses free through Passing Mirror because um, a mm-hmm. lot of, when you start having kids with trachs and that really can impact their eating for a lot of plethora of reasons. So, and those are free. So go ahead and do those. Um, yeah. All right. Excellent. Last question. We are working on WordCloud here at Fresh SLP. So we're asking all of our guests to give us one or two words that you think um, describes an SLP. Oh, man, that's hard. All right, let me think. I think maybe, like, adaptable. I think there's... We've all had that experience where what you think is going to happen is not what actually does happen. So, (laughs) you know, um, adapted. (laughs) You said two or three? One or two. Okay. Another one? Give me another one. Oh, yeah. Let's think of another one. I think undervalued. Um, And and maybe not undervalued, but under misunderstood, perhaps. Um, I I think that our field a lot of times gets a rap for being easy. Um, it's not, so I, you know, and I think a lot of people, I'm sure we've all had this experience or if you haven't, it's coming to you where they, you know, you're either, they think you teach like debate speech yep. or, oh, you just like teach kids how to say R, which mm-hmm. teaching kids how to say R is important. If you are the child or the parent of a child who can't say R, that is a really big deal to you. So don't say, I hate when they say, oh, just, that's not true. Um, but we do a lot more than articulation. So I think we're as a, as a profession, pretty misunderstood in what we what we do and what we have to offer and and what our just even what our training is you know a lot of people are shocked when I say oh yeah I, I remember my first year working my CF year I had a teacher come to me and says oh you know for your speech certification was that like a weekend course that you did <laughs> oh yeah I was pretty yeah. I was pretty insulted I had just graduated so like I was like fresh like remembering grad school you know and I was like no it is a master's degree <laughs> and, and she was like really like shocked you know mm-hmm. Yeah, like a lot of people are like, wait, what? Like, it's that it's that hard? I'm like, yeah, it's it's an allied health profession. Yes, it requires like real academic performance. Yeah, yeah, we're the real deal. Yeah, it's we're a real deal. And advocating for that for ourselves and for our career and our profession, yeah. and all that we do is so important. Right. Yeah, and constantly, you know, and and I also I feel like especially like in the school side, you know, you get the speech teacher. Um, yeah. I'm shut that down pretty quickly. But then, you know, I, I see a lot of things on social media and stuff that like, 
oh, it's pretentious to like not want to be called speech teacher. And I'm like, no, it's, it's not. It's not pretentious to want to be called your actual title. I mean, you know, like, obviously I don't expect my little kids say like a speech pathologist, but like, no, I'm like, I introduce myself as a speech pathologist and people kind of will like balk at that. I'm like, well, that, that's what I am. Like, I don't, the physical therapist says this physical therapist and no one balks at that. So. Well, imagine standing in a radiology suite ready to do a modifibrarium swallow. And this is, you know, I, the radiology team, we, we introduce ourselves as a team. I am Maddie, speech pathologist, and one of the members on this team. And this is what we're doing today. You know, so it's using language that, that validates what we do. Right. right. And adds our credibility. Right, exactly. And it's not, you know, you don't need to have your nose up in the air about it. It's not, not that you're better than that tech or the teacher or whoever, but just that that's what you do. Mm-hmm. That's a piece of advice, like don't. Yeah. All right. So adaptable and misunderstood. Yeah. Those are the two we're going to go with. All right. Yeah, I think so. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for your time today. This was great talking to you and learning about what you do as a pediatric speech pathologist awesome. in the medical thanks setting. Yes. Thanks for having me. today's conversation has created some aha moments for you and motivated you to become a better SLP. Continuing to connect some of those missing links between what you know and how to use that knowledge. Thank you for downloading the missing link for SLP's podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, I'd love you to subscribe, rate it, and leave a short review. Also, please share an episode with a friend. Together, we can raise awareness and help more SLPs find and connect those missing links and get the information needed to help them feel confident in their patient care every step of the way. Follow me on Instagram and join the Fresh SLP community on Facebook. Show notes are always available, so come learn more at freshslp.com. Let's make those connections. You got this.